Well, welcome everyone, and thank you for being here. I appreciate so much your taking time to set aside to think about the wonder of Christmas. I was thinking about this. You won't experience the wonder of Christmas at Kohl's or Costco. You won't really experience it at your neighborhood Christmas party or your office Christmas party. I'm not against any of those things. I go to Costco. I like the days when they give you the samples. and um, I don't even mind the, the, the buzz and the hubbub and the crowds. It's kind of it's cool. But what I'm saying is you're, you won't experience the wonder of Christmas there unless you're intentional about uh, really contemplating the wonder, pondering the wonder of something, you'll miss it. Um, I went recently for my eye exam, uh, annual eye exam. Uh, I find that they keep getting worse. I don't know what's going on. But uh, every year I go, and uh, while I was waiting for the ophthalmologist to come in, uh, she had a poster on the wall of the human eye. I bet you have not pondered the wonder of the human eye, have you? But it's, it's un, I mean, you have in the past, but how about just this last week, you know? It's like unbelievable what God did. We are fearfully and wonderfully made people. There's a wondrous God who, who creates with wonder. All I'm saying is, is you need something. Sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's not, but something to draw you into that. You won't experience it without some kind of effort on your part. And the greatest wonder that any one of us can ever experience is the wonder of God and how he came down to this earth and left eternity, took upon himself humanity so that he could rescue a sinful fallen group of people such as me and you. It's an amazing thing that we have to ponder. So thank you for being here. Thank you for taking some moments out of life (laughs) to ponder our great God. There's an old carol, we don't sing it too much, but uh, I used to sing it years ago. It's called the Wexford Carol. It has a line that says, Good people all this Christmas time consider well and bear in mind what our good God for us has done in sending his beloved son. And I pray that even this morning as you listen for a few moments, this will help you to ponder and consider what our good God has done. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the gift of being here today, to be able to pause from the rest of the affairs of life. We're such a busy people. And Lord, it's not intentional uh, oftentimes, but we just neglect to ponder you. And certainly Christmas, we We have activities, we have life, there's real problems and issues that all of us face and are facing. But Lord, thank you for these moments set aside that we might ponder you. Would you help me to preach and would you help the people to give, to listen, to have an open heart to what you would want to do? And I pray that for myself too. I need your help. I pray that we would be drawn closer to you in this hour. And that your Holy Spirit would come and minister to us in ways that only he can. Help us to be open to that. We love you and help us to ponder anew what you can do. Help us to consider all that you have done for us in sending your beloved son. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. 
Pastor Jeff preached so well last week uh, about the gift of prophecy and how God had spoken hundreds of years before sending the Messiah to this earth. And after years of silence, uh, after the Old Testament prophets had uh, ended their prophecy, some 400 years, God suddenly breaks onto the scene, sending an angel to a priest named Zechariah and uh, told him that he and his wife would have a child, even though they were way past childbearing age. They were to name him John, and John would be the forerunner of the Messiah. God is working. And now we see that the angel returns in this story. And I'd like you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to be starting to read at the 26th verse. 26. So Luke 1, 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The, Luke says it's in the sixth month that Gabriel comes. He's speaking of the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So if you just have a timeline, it, Gabriel appears to Zechariah and, and tells him that they're going to have conceived. So some nine months has, has gone by. You know, uh, he's, She's been con conceived, John the Baptist. And now she's in her sixth month of pregnancy. Okay, So some six months later, here comes Gabriel again, uh, appearing to Mary. But it's interesting where Gabriel is sent, okay? He is sent to uh, Galilee, up in the north, an insignificant place spiritually. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But notice, first of all, it says Gabriel was sent by God. God is not uh, a passive, inactive God who's just kind of off in the distance somewhere. Just because we can't always see or know what he's doing. He's always working. He, Gabriel was sent by God. You know, an atheist says there is no God. An agnostic says, well, you can't know God, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you can't really know him, so it's irrelevant. A deist is someone who says, well, God created but he's not really involved in his creation. He just got things going and he's off somewhere. But a theist says, and this is the, the, the message of the Bible, no, God is, exists and he is intimately acquainted with us. And he's at work in this world. Gabriel was sent by God. And like I said, he was sent to Galilee up in the north. He wasn't sent to Judea where Jerusalem was, to this sleepy little town called Nazareth. And uh, it's a little uh, insignificant town with a bad reputation, by the way. Can anything good come from Nazareth, Nathaniel says in the New Testament? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? That if the head of the state of some foreign country was coming to the United States, he's not going to land in Billings, Montana. How many of you have been to Billings? Nothing against... Okay, good. Some of you have been. There was a lot of people in the first service had been to Billings, Montana. But that's not the center of political life in America, okay? He needs to go to Washington, D.C. And the angels appearing not in Judea, not in Jerusalem, but up north in Galilee to this sleepy little town. And he comes, look at who he's sent to, an unknown virgin named Mary who's betrothed, that means she's legally pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. We'll talk about that. But isn't it just like God, that he would come to the insignificant, the lowly, that which is not? The Bible says that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose the weak in this world to shame the strong. He resists the proud. Do you know if you're proud here today, God will resist you? You won't, you won't receive from God today in pride. But if you're humble, God will come to you. Betrothal in the Bible was a binding contract between two families, and it was sealed by the exchange of gifts. And during this period, listen, the couple did not live together. They were not sexually active with one another. In fact, to be so, to be sexually active in this period was considered to be fornication. And it could be if, if that activity was outside of the two of them, that would be grounds for adultery. And they could legally be separated only through divorce. So the betrothal is not really like our uh, engagement that we have in our culture. It was much more strict than that. So Gabriel gives a greeting in verse 28. He says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Greetings, the Lord is with you, O favored one. The favored one speaks of the word grace. God is being gracious to you, Mary. And the Lord is with you. Some have misinterpreted this to say that Mary is full of grace and Mary dispenses grace. Mary is actually the recipient of grace. Gabriel says, O favored one, you have been graced by God. And one of the ways you know you're graced by God is the Lord is with you. And usually in the Bible, when the Lord is with you, it's to empower you for some kind of work that he wants you to do. And Mary's about to learn what that work is, that God is going to call her to carry the Messiah. Well, this is the first allusion to the power of God. The power always flows from God's presence. Think of that. When we think of the wonder of God's power, he is always present when he works his power. Okay, he's present in that. In the church at Antioch, it says that the hand of the Lord was with the people of the church of Antioch and a great number of people turned to the Lord. I don't know what that hand of the Lord is. I think it signifies his power, but I want that. <laughs> I want his power. How about you? you? You need the hand of the Lord in your life. You need his power. But Mary is confused. In verse 29, she says this, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. What is this all about? What does God want me to do? What do you mean, angel? I'm graced by God. I've been, I've been, he's giving me favor and his presence is with me. Why? I'm a small teenage, I'm a teenage girl from a remote city of Nazareth and now I'm getting an angelic visitation. And the message comes from Gabriel in verse 30. It says this, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. There it is again. God is being gracious to you. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Mary, you're going to become pregnant. And the baby boy that you have, you are to name him Jesus. The name Jesus means the Lord is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. Many little boys were named that name at that time because it's a, it's a name that points to the coming of the Messiah, that he was coming to save the people from their sins. But Gabriel goes on to tell Mary much more about her Jesus. <laughs> Look at verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary's son will not simply be a human being. He will also be called Son of the Most High. He would be the promised Messiah in the line of David. God made a promise to King David. He said, "From your, one of your descendants is going to rule, be the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He's going to rule forever and ever. No human being alone could, could keep that kind of, uh, or fulfill that kind of promise. And so Gabriel's telling Mary, this baby that's going to be born... He's going to be human being, yes, but he's going to be called son of El Elyon. That's the Hebrew name, most high God. He's going to be El Elyon. Now, the wonder of God's power, folks, is seen in the incarnation. Have you heard that term, incarnation? It's not really a biblical, it's not in the Bible. You won't find the word incarnation. But it explains a theological concept. The incarnation was the act of God the Son whereby he took to himself a human nature. In other words, Jesus, the eternal second person of the Trinity, stepped out of that eternity and took upon himself humanity. So it speaks about both the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. This must have been staggering to Mary because Mary knows the prophecies about the Messiah. I hope you do too. The Messiah was predicted by the prophets to be human and divine. And I'll give you an example that Mary would have known this prophecy from Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born. That speaks of the humanity of the Messiah. To us a son is given. That speaks of the divinity of the Messiah. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called, look at his names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. What human being do we call Mighty God? The Messiah would be a human being, a child born, but he would be Mighty God. Here's the uh, prophecy of his rule, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Do you know God is zealous? (laughs) God has a zeal. He wants to accomplish things. He, he wants to accomplish his purpose and he's going to do it here. Now I believe Mary is starting to put this together because there's another prophecy that I think she understands. Listen to this prophecy. She knew this prophecy from Isaiah as well. <coughs> Chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us, right? God with us. So in other words, a virgin will bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel. Now look at how close that prophecy sentence structure is to the words that Gabriel says to Mary. In verse 31, the angel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. If In the prophecy, if you change virgin to the word you, referring to Mary, if you change Emmanuel to Jesus, you virtually have the same statement. I think Mary, as staggered as she is, is starting to, wait a minute. I believe the angel's telling me I'm the one that's going to fulfill 
this prophecy of Isaiah. It's starting to come to her. And I, she's assuming that this is going to happen, if not immediately, very soon. She's not seeing this prophecy as a fulfillment when the time comes for uh, Mary and Joseph to formally be married and consummate their marriage. She's, she's not looking at this child as the product of their union. And that can be seen clearly with the question she asked Mary, uh, the excuse me, Gabriel. And look at verse 34. She asked Gabriel this question. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Literally, since I know no man. Mary has not had sexual relations with Joseph or with any other man. And she's kind of saying, I know the prophecy. I know the virgin will conceive it. How can this be? How can this be? And, and implied in that, I'm not going to commit sexual immorality. I can't be immoral. So if I'm going to become, if I'm going to conceive, how's this going to be? Before we get to Gabriel's answer, I just want to pause for a moment. I was deeply moved and I was also convicted uh, by Mary and Joseph's moral purity. I was moved by their love and respect for God and for each other and for their choice to remain sexually pure in his sight. I was convicted by how far our culture, but not just our culture, but the standards within the church have fallen away from this standard. Pastors, let's, let's talk about pastors first who have violated sexual purity. Priests who have preyed on children. Christians who claim to be followers of Christ yet are sexually active with each other outside of marriage. Living together. Sexual immorality. Sensuality. Our culture is so sensual. Every turn. It's in commercials. It's in everything. It's in everything we see. I grieve. I just grieve. And I looked, and you know what? I don't say that to like shame anybody. Because if we've fallen, God can forgive us. But I want to I put forth a standard of somebody that is highly favored by God in the scriptures. Mary and Joseph. And in humble simplicity Humble obedience to what God says is his plan for us. They live that way. And I just lift it up to you. Young people, I lift it up to you. But all of us. But Gabriel answers the question. I'm not going to be immoral in my sexuality. So how can this possibly be that I'm going to conceive? And Gabriel's answer is found in verse 35. He says... And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Gabriel says the conception of Jesus Christ is going to be wrought through a miracle performed by the Holy Spirit who will come upon Mary. And it's going to be by God's power as El Elyon overshadows her. 
Once again, the text shows how the holy, powerful presence of God is at work. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, whether it be in the Old Testament or New, he always gives a divine enablement. He always comes to provide for a person an ability that goes beyond the limits of human abilities alone. And in the Old Testament, it was God's presence. This overshadowing was seen at the dedication of the tabernacle. And God's, a cloud came from heaven. It just enveloped everything. The priests couldn't even move. They couldn't do anything. God's presence was so thick. And in the New Testament, that same cloud appeared when Jesus was transfigured. And then Gabriel, in this statement, has a very important theological point to make. And it's set off by the word, therefore. You know the old joke, whenever in the scripture the word, the word therefore is there, you, you should always stop and see what it's there for. <laughs> Some of you have never heard that, okay. Therefore, in other words, the fact that the Holy Spirit is coming upon Mary, that the power of the Mo- Most High is overshadowing her, therefore, because it's God's power that is at work, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Because God is performing this miracle, it enables Jesus in his human nature to be sinless. Jesus did not inherit the same sinful human nature that you and I inherit from birth, from Adam. Okay? And this is very clear in the scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. Uh, He on the cross, our sins were imputed to him. He wasn't dying for his sins. He was dying for our sins. Hebrews 4.15 says we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. He's been tempted like we're tempted, yet without sin, the Bible says. Peter says Jesus committed no sin, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. This theological, it, that's a, the theological statement is it's because what was conceived in Mary was by the Holy Spirit. Human, yes, but sinless. And he had a divine nature. And Gabriel encourages Mary to believe what he's just told her. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary, you can believe this. Even your relative Elizabeth has experienced something supernatural in her life. Something that never could have happened without God. She's in her sixth month of pregnancy. Can you believe that, Mary? She must have been going, what? What? Elizabeth? No. (laughs) Yes, because nothing is impossible with God. Those are some encouraging words, friends. Nothing is impossible with God. I know. I've lived life too. And I understand that sometimes there's a tension with a statement like that. Because I think at times in life, all of us have asked God for something that was impossible. And he hasn't answered in the way we want. So what do we do with that? Sometimes people will say, I prayed, I prayed, why didn't God do this? And so often I have to say, I don't know. I really don't know. I've experienced it in my own life. But I just don't want to become jaded to say that I can't seek God for impossible things. I 
The hidden things belong to God, the scriptures say. What he reveals belongs to us. I told this story at uh, 9 o'clock when I was uh, in elementary school, I believe, in like fifth or sixth grade. I had a cat. The cat's name was Tiger, little orange cat. I love that cat. And uh, one day he got hit by a car and uh, killed. And my, I was at school and my dad, you know, took care of everything. By the time I came home, he just told me what had happened. And I remember going to school. I loved God a lot as a kid. And I remember all through school, I kept praying, God, nothing's impossible for you. Nothing's impossible for you. I prayed all day. I, I just, in the, I don't think I learned a thing that day. But I kept saying, God, when I go home, let Tiger be alive. You can do it. There's nothing you, can, you can't do. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Well, I got home and Tiger wasn't alive, okay? And uh, God didn't do that. Now, could God do that? I believe with absolute certainty God could do that. But there's things that we don't understand, you know? Ten-year-old kid doesn't understand. And there's things as adults we don't understand. We don't see all of his purposes. But never stop believing in a God who can do the impossible and ask for impossible things. I don't know what God will do, but maybe one of these times God will answer you in a different way. One of the translations of this verse, nothing is impossible with God, in the American Standard Version says, for no word from God shall be void of power. That kind of gives you a sense of this meaning. Whatever God does decree to do, whatever is in his sovereign will to do, whatever he has purposed and planned to do, he has the power to do it. And hold on to that. Look at this final verse of, the, of our passage today. Verse 38 and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Friends, Mary is one of the greatest examples of humble, submissive discipleship found anywhere in the Bible. Mary says, I'm your servant. You've just told me this. You're going to perform this miracle. I'm a servant of yours. Have your way in my life. And I don't care what the cost may be. I want you to do your will in my life. Oh, that there would be more Marys in this world. More people who would say, God, have your way with me. Be it unto me according to your word. Whatever you want me to do, however you want me to act, whatever your word says, I submit myself to you. And notice that she surrendered despite all of the unknowns. How could she know what this would mean? She doesn't even know. How do you explain something like this to anybody? What's Joseph going to think? But she, before she, well, let me, uh, Gabriel, can I check this out with Joseph? Lord, be it unto me. Because if you can do this in my life, if you're powerful enough to do this, you're powerful enough to handle Joseph. <laughs> See, we need more of that kind of thinking, with our, even with our problems, with our difficulties. If he's big enough to do this, he's big enough to handle our problems, our, our difficulties. By the way, Joseph did need some help with this, didn't he? <laughs> and you know the story. God sent an angel, and he did help. But you know that Mary and Joseph, would, would this social stigma would follow them all their lives? You know, it even followed Jesus. When he was grown up, some 
30 years after this, he's having an encounter with the Pharisees and a little bit of a heated debate. You know what they threw at him in the middle of it? They said to him, we were not born of fornication like you. They'd done done the history. They'd done some research on this Mary and Joseph. It was known that Mary had become pregnant during the betrothal period. And it was just assumed that they had committed fornication. And that stigma followed them. And it followed Jesus. How, How many of you are willing to just have a stigma attached to you just for being a follower of Jesus? It's not deserved. It's nothing you've done wrong. You just want to follow him and love him. In some way, it brings a stigma to your life. Oh, that you would be like Mary and Joseph and say, God, I don't care what the cost is. I don't care who understands me or doesn't understand me. I want to live for you. I want to just close with two applications of this scripture, and then we're going to pray. I believe within this story of Mary, there is symbolism. There is, a, there is a symbol of God's power to accomplish a new spiritual birth in any person. God, the Son, came in, uh, was incarnated as an embryo. I mean, <laughs> I can't even wrap my mind around that. By the way, Jesus sanctified all of life from conception to birth to death. But God wants to do in us spiritually what he did in Mary physically. He wants us to experience the birth of his son within our hearts, spiritually speaking. And he has provided that spiritual birth through faith in his son. When you believe in his son, There is a spiritual birth that takes place. And there's several scriptures that teach this. In Revelation 3, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him or her. I will eat with him and he with me. There will be fellowship. I will come into your heart. He's speaking not of a physical door of a house, but I'm knocking. I keep trying to reach you. Some of you are here today. God is trying to reach you. How do, There's something in your heart that says this is right. There's something in your heart that's telling you there's truth here. There's something in your heart, even when you're trying to resist it, there's a tenderness of God that says, no, I love you. I came into this world so you can have eternal life. Open the door of your heart to me, and I'll come in, and I'll, I'll fellowship with you. Some of you here, don't be too proud to admit you need him. Open your heart today. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is the spiritual birth that he's speaking of. And notice, you cannot see the kingdom. You can't can't be a follower of the true God, and you can't have hope of heaven without having a spiritual birth. I don't care what religious catechism you've gone through. It will, not, it will not save you. Only faith in the Son that was sent will save you. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is a new creation? There's a new work that God does inside your heart, spiritually, that you're born again spiritually. 
And in John it says, but to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were not born, who, excuse me, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, not a physical birth, but they were born of God. There's a spirit, we sing about it. We sang about it today, you probably missed it. We sang, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. We were born physically, but we need to be born spiritually. Have you done that? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Has he come in and done something in your heart? Has he changed you? Would you say like Mary to me today, let it be to me according to your word. I want to follow you. And lastly, for the Christian here, for those who have received Jesus Christ, I believe just as the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and the power of the Most High overshadowed her, there's a picture here of God wanting to empower the Christian for living, to bring his presence and his power into your life. The Bible says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when he overshadows you. Now believers, you're saying, yes, we do believe that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives when we believe in Christ. That's a, that's a truth that the scriptures teach. But the Bible also says that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're commanded. Believers are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul likens it to getting drunk. He says when you get drunk, you drink alcohol. You submit to alcohol. And as you submit to it, it starts to control you. And you start acting in ways you don't normally act, and you talk in ways you don't normally talk. And Paul says, don't do that. That's going to lead to all kind of evil in your life. But in a similar way, be filled with the Spirit. Yield yourself to the Spirit. Let Him fill you. And He'll start producing things that you can't produce in yourself. How many of you need love that you don't have in yourself? How many of us have uh, a lack of forgiveness? We can't forgive like God wants us to forgive. How many of us has joy that really springs from something other than ourselves? The fruit of the Spirit are all these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. We need God. Would there be any believers here today? It says, I need more of the Spirit. I yield myself to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come fill me. You know, the Bible says filling can be repeated, just like getting drunk can be re repeated. You don't stay drunk forever. Well, I hope you don't stay drunk at all, but... Um, <laughs> but what happens is you, you drink, you, you get drunk, but you sober up. And if you want to be controlled again by that substance you're going to have to use it again. You're going to have to yield to it again. And Paul's making this analogy. Friends, the Spirit is something that we have to seek. We have to yield to. Would there be any Christians here today that would say, I need more of God. I need more of His Spirit. I need more of His control. I need more of His presence. I need, I need the Holy Spirit to come upon me and produce in me things and enable me in ways that I don't have the power to do. Listen, I don't either. I don't either. 
I need the Holy Spirit. Pastors need it. Elders, people in the church, we need the Holy Spirit to help us. So worship team, I'm going to have you come wherever you're at, and we're going to sing a simple song and just close in seeking God, and then I'm going to, we're going to be dismissed. But it's, the song simply says, Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in thy strength and thy power. Come in thine own gentle way. He has power, but he's gentle. He's not condemning. If you feel condemnation today, that's not from God. We believe in conviction that God does bring up in our lives things that he needs to change, but he never condemns you. He never condemns you. His heart is always love. And all he wants to do is come into your life like he came over Mary and overshadowed her. And so why don't we stand together and as we sing this song, if you just want to come and seek God, you can kneel. There's some chairs in the front here. You can just sit and seek God. But let's sing this chorus together. And let's ask God for his help.